Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Hello, dear friends and listeners. My guest today is Tatjana Moroz. She is an American folk singer, songwriter, liberty activist and peaceful revolutionary. She is pioneering creative autonomy and freedom as the creator of the world's first artist cryptocurrency, Tatjana Coin. Tatjana merges music with blockchain technology to renew the power of songwriters and creators. Her inspiring album, Keep the Faith, was released in 2017 and was funded completely with cryptocurrency. She wrote a song about Bitcoin too. It's called The Bitcoin Jingle, and you're going to hear it in a couple of minutes. If you like my podcast, please hit the subscribe button and write a recommendation on Apple Podcast or on the other podcast platforms. Thank you very much. Thank you also to the LTB Network for listing my show on their platform. The Let's Talk Bitcoin Network features other cool shows like the original Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast with Andreas Antonopoulos and Adam Levine, What Bitcoin Did with Peter McCormick, the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, POV Crypto and many, many others. And finally, before we start, a short message from my sponsors. If you want to be independent and secure your personal financial freedom with Bitcoin, you have to hold your own keys and must not use a custodial wallet. So if you're one of the people who thinks of investing in Bitcoin long term in the most easy way and who prefers not to use a hardware wallet because it has to be maintained, doing firmware updates and more, or you just want to gift someone Bitcoin, then the card wallet is for you. You'll get one Bitcoin address, you can send Bitcoin to it, and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. That's it. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House, which is also responsible for the Austrian passports, and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. Now on to the show and as always you can find all recommendations and links mentioned in this episode in the show notes on the episode page at bitcoinandco.com. There you can also find a books page with all reading recommendations from my guests. bitcoinandco.com with an U. Please subscribe to my show in your favorite podcast player, come back for more episodes and share it on social media. Today's guest is Tatjana Moroz. I saw you the first time when we were in Riga at the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. You were performing there. It's great that you're here being a guest in my Bitcoin and Co. podcast because you're also, you're very multifaceted. You're doing many things. You're a podcaster. You're a singer songwriter. You're a liberty activist. Would you please introduce yourself as a start? Sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Tatiana Moroz. I'm a singer-songwriter. I think that's how I identify myself first and foremost, but I do a lot of different stuff in the space. I have a marketing and media company called Crypto Media Hub since 2015. I also have two podcasts called The Tatiana Show and Proof of Love, which covers some relationship stuff for the crypto space. And I'm also an advisor on the Tokenly project, as well as a few other things. So keeping quite busy. Uh, I'm also a public speaker. 
So when I was in Riga, which is where Anita and I met, I was actually speaking about uh, Tatiana Coin, which is the world's first artist cryptocurrency, as well as uh, my advocacy to free Ross Ulbricht and a little bit of the background about what happened with the Silk Road. Okay, that sounds very interesting. When did you realize that there's something like Bitcoin? Sometimes people ask also, you know, how did a musician end up in this space? Because I hate tech and I hate finance, or I used to anyway. Um, I actually came from uh, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and I had been managing a lot of different recording studios, but I had also had a great interest in using music to convey a message. My mom had played a lot of music for the 60s and 70s singer-songwriters, and I had been particularly moved by Peace Train by Cat Stevens. And I thought to myself, well, you could use music to convey an idea and to cause great social change. And so um, unfortunately, my own generation didn't really have much of a cause to rally behind. But eventually, I found out about the central banking system and the Federal Reserve System. So I got involved in libertarian politics here in the United States. I supported a candidate known as Ron Paul, who is very popular and was supported by people on both the left and the right under the ideas of liberty and uh, following you know, the Constitution and general principles that are known as American, but I think can be really um, internalized for everyone around the world. Everybody likes freedom. And I think that's what brings people to the United States. Uh, unfortunately, I found that the political process wasn't particularly effective in bringing about the change that I wanted to see. And so luckily, I was sponsored by BitPay in August of 2012 for a performance that I was giving. And Tony Gallippi and Stephen Pear both came up to New York and they told me all about Bitcoin. And I'll admit I was bored and I didn't understand why I would need alpaca socks. Um, but eventually I caught on and that's when I decided to create a jingle because I knew that here I am a person that knows all about the Federal Reserve, but I didn't really see the utility for Bitcoin. So I wanted to give it a little bit more of a storyline and connect it with some of those values that people might not necessarily associate with it, but are in fact uh, integrally tied uh, with both liberty and, and cryptocurrency. Okay, so uh, when I understand that right, you had basically a small job uh, sponsored by BitPay and you did a song for them or a jingle for music for, for something for them. No, I started out just doing regular music. So I was doing a lot of anti-war music um, and just kind of politically driven music. But it took me about six months of being in Bitcoin before I realized that maybe I could turn it into something that people could really, um, I don't know, align themselves with if maybe they got a little bit of push with with a song. And so the jingle was really supposed to be almost like a sales tool for Bitcoin overall. It wasn't for BitPay or anything. It was just more of a general tool. And then I realized that it was really more about a movement. And so it became a little bit more of a song, even though I call it the Bitcoin jingle. And then after that, that's when I started really doing a lot of activism. And this Bitcoin jingle, can one find it on YouTube or where? Of course. Yeah. So I actually debuted the Bitcoin jingle for the first time at the Latin American Bitcoin conference, which is probably my favorite Bitcoin conference of the year. Um, this year, I was just down there in Uruguay. That year, it was in Buenos Aires, which is where a lot of the founding members are from. And I sang it to an audience of 300 people. Everybody loved it. And then I went on to actually produce a full band recording. And so the way that that came about was, you know, I got involved in Bitcoin. I did the song. I was traveling around, you know, performing music around cryptocurrency and also about those uh, other ideas. And 
Uh, I started talking with Adam Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin, another crypto podcast that your listeners might be familiar with. He also had a network called the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. And we started talking about creating um, an artist coin. So what would that look like? Um, this is before there were really ICOs or anything like that. We were calling it Bitcoin 2.0. We didn't even say blockchain. And it was a few months after Ethereum was announced, which was in January 2015. Um, so in, uh, oh wait, no, this was 2014. Sorry. So it was announced in January of 2014. And so around April and May of 2015, we launched Tatiana Coin. And the reason that we did it was because as an artist, I saw there were a lot of problems. You know, if you want to get into the recording studio, uh, you have to know somebody, you have to be sleeping with some old guy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of weird things that go on in the music industry. And, you know, as an artist that had a lot of meaning to their music, I felt really isolated because it was the era of, you know, Britney Spears and all this kind of trash music. So, um, I wanted to find a way where artists could be supported directly by their fans and so we were looking to solve two problems. We had fans and funding, right? So how do you make sure that you don't have uh, 15 waitressing jobs? Because that's what a lot of artists do because they can't support themselves. And how do you make sure that you have people in the audience that can actually support you? And originally, I had been creating those relationships through social media networks. So Friendster, MySpace, YouTube, Facebook. By the time that you get to Facebook, you realize that you're essentially building up an audience and a data center for another company. So the other company essentially owns your relationship with your fans. I don't own my fans or well, nobody owns anybody, but I don't own the relationship with my fans. Facebook does. And they exploit that. They can censor you. They can uh, cut you off from them if they decide that you are no longer fitting their platform. And then years of work goes up in smoke because you can't actually reach the people that you spent all that time building up a relationship with. And then on the other hand, you know, you had the Indiegogo model, um, which is, you know, basically people donate $50 and they get a t-shirt for your album, but that's not a long-term relationship. So what I wanted to do was instead give people $50 worth of Tatiana coin, and then they could send uh, $5 worth to their mom. They could send $5 worth to their sister because they think, oh, my mom and sister would like this music, but then they can keep the remaining amounts and either hold on to them for the future, or they can use them in my store and get a discount. They could use it to have better access to me, sort of like a Patreon model. And so we started to play around with that. And so we launched Tatiana coin using counterparty, which is built on top of uh, Bitcoin and counterparty, I guess, predated uh, Ethereum and was already making tokens. So at the time we had the option of MasterCoin, which we didn't opt for. And then we had Counterparty. And then I think those were the only ones that we could really choose from. Uh, I thought the Counterparty was the better uh, technology. And I believe that the tech was better, but unfortunately I don't think they've put much effort um, into the marketing and development since then. Um, but anyway, so we made Tatiana Coin. We raised about $20,000 for my third album called Keep the Faith. And if your listeners want to take a look, or, or rather a listen, uh, they can go online and Google Tatiana Moreau's Keep the Faith, or they can go to my YouTube, Forevermore Tatiana, and the full album is listed there. And what I really love about the album, I mean, it's my album, right? I'm going to love it. It's almost like a little child. But what I like what we did was I ended up using 
you know, I became very friendly with Ross Ulbricht of the Silk Road. And I think that what happened to him is a travesty of justice. I consider him to be a political prisoner. No one deserves double life plus 40 years for creating a website. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that an artist should be able to get behind. But if you have a major record label, they might not like that. So what we did was um, he had drawn a picture of me. Um, It was actually a photograph taken by a famous uh, libertarian photographer, uh, Judd Weiss. And he had made that into a picture for my birthday. And so we used that artwork that he did in prison. And I decided to put it on my album cover and say, look, this is why we need artist coins. This is why we need a blockchain revolution among the creative community, because it takes us away from the music industry cartel. And it allows us to not only create our music, but find support in a long, sustainable way with an audience that maybe has similar views. And it reminds people, hey, Ross is in jail. Let's get him out. And so you can't forget about him so easily, which was really important to me, which is why I also created a, a Silk Road song. So if people want to hear the Silk Road song or the Bitcoin jingle, um, I put them both on the album because you know the album comes from this community in a lot of ways. And I wanted to reflect back some of the values and some of the stories that I had learned and that had influenced me as an artist. The Tatiana coin, uh, is it still working? I mean, do you still uh, use the platform or would you use another blockchain or coin today or another solution? So we uh, found out the hard way that, you know, uh, I don't know, at least I did. Technology is not really as easy as it seems if you don't have any experience with it. So 
I didn't really take that into account. This was my first kind of foray into the tech world. Um, the coin exists. It's successful in that it raised money and it's still usable, but it was a little bit like we had a car and we didn't have any roads. So we really needed the infrastructure where the coin could travel and interact with both the fans and the artist. And so as a result, Adam created Tokenly, and Tokenly is sort of a protocol agnostic infrastructure that allows you to sell tokens to interact with your fans. It has a bit of a Shopify function, and that infrastructure was adjusted to create our main product. I mean, maybe not our main product, but um, the product I care the most about, which is Token.fm. And Token.fm is a content creators platform that allows the creator to be put at the center of their own universe instead of being sort of, you know, oh, you get a couple percentage points on the music that you created. Well, now if you put yourself at the beginning of the chain, you can control who it is that you work with. You can control your sales. We have a um, streaming platform that pays 20 times more than the typical streaming service does. We compensate the fans for creating playlists and for interacting with their favorite artists. Uh, you're able to make a number of digital collectible tokens including things that allow you more access to the artist. You can control your own pricing. Um, the distribution is also managed in a way where you can automatically pay out the content creator as well as any kind of collaborators. And you can also do a lot of interesting collaborative um, work because you have the you know crypto on the back end that allows you to connect your network to other networks of different artists and do cross-promotion. So it does a lot of different things. Um, but what we ran into was, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges with putting together a business. And I've seen a lot of different music blockchain companies come out, guns blazing, lots of press, and then it fizzles out. And I think that, you know, the regulation around it is still very unclear. So, for example, we were thinking of doing an ICO back in 2017, but our, you know, our tech was ready. We were ready to rock. It was, you know, ICOs were still doing well. But our legal team told us, hey, uh, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> and so I thought, I don't really like jail. And also, you know, you have to be careful when you're innovating if you've got a big mouth to criticize the government. I'm not interested in going to jail. I'm not interested in doing anything legal. And God forbid we draw some other artists into this. And then all of a sudden we've got a legal battle on our hands because it's untested. So we decided to take a little bit more of a conservative approach. And we've been kind of retooling things. And now we're basically all built and uh, pushing forward with a variety of different kind of funding sources. So we had to take a step back in order to take a step forward. But I think we'll probably be seeing a lot more from Token.fm in 2020, whether that's as Token.fm or as a white label solution, because some companies may not want to promote Token.fm. And I understand that, but we can put the functionality on the back end for any website. So let's say you were like Joe Rogan, you know, you don't have to be a musician. You can use the technology on your back end, send people to JoeRogan.com and they get a lot of the benefits and they don't have to learn about Bitcoin. I mean, I want them to learn about Bitcoin, but you know, that's not so realistic. Um, so, you know, we wanted to have kind of a hybrid solution. And even though we are made for counterparty, we're actually protocol agnostic. So currently we're putting in um, support for Ethereum, for EOS, and we're exploring other kinds of partnerships because we didn't want to pick uh, a protocol because who knows what's going to end up happening. I mean, we learned um, using Counterparty that eventually Tatiana coined when the fees were high, the fees were higher than the, the value of a Tatiana coin. So while I set that price, it's not something that trades on the open market because there's no other kinds of 
uh, artist coins that it could even compete with necessarily. Um, you know, we wanted to have the, the option to leave the control in the artist's hands and they can move with the times. And we just provide the, the infrastructure in order for them to, uh, you know, play as much as they want or as little as they want with their fan base, but basically create a home for themselves. Sounds very interesting. It's something like Patreon, but with my own coin, if I understand that right. Well, it's a little bit like Patreon. It has elements of a Spotify. It has elements of, you know, almost like a TuneCore, which is a distributor of your music. So some companies, they focus on, oh, rights registration. Well, we can register your rights. Who cares? A lot of times that's not really the, the thing that's preventing an artist from creating their music. Um, a lot of artists aren't even really concerned with that because they can't even get into the studio. What we wanted to do is give a full suite of tools covering all the different things that I noticed as an artist uh, of what do I need? You know, I need a place to distribute my music. I need a place to talk with my fans. I need a place to keep track of all my sales in a way so I can actually pay my taxes properly and make sure that I'm in compliance. And currently all of those music tools exist. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them exist, but they're all sort of in different places and it's very confusing. So I wanted to have a centralized location for the artist where they can have full control over their, um, over their destiny instead of being concerned, well, is this company going to be around in five years? I don't know. And so you spend all this time on that company's website and the next thing you know, they're gone. So, uh, I wanted to have that, that kind of one location where you can get it all done and keep track of it all in one place. Yeah, sounds like a great tool for independence, for artists and also, I guess, for podcasters and all self-employed uh, self people or small entrepreneurs. Hmm? Well, that's true, but there's actually another benefit for a large company. For example, if you're a major label, you're also getting screwed by these big social media companies. You're paying so much money to Facebook every month to advertise and Essentially, they're making an investment in the artist. And I appreciate, you know, sometimes I might complain about the music business, but I appreciate the challenges. Look, they're investing a ton of money in order to promote an artist. And then they're also dependent on these outside tech platforms. So a label actually would benefit from creating almost their own little label home on token.fm and then putting out all of their artists because then they would actually have control over the artist content a lot more and they could monetize that and then hopefully pass some of that back onto the artist and all the other people that are part of the uh, creative journey because it's not just the artist making it. You have to pay out a bunch of people. But if you bring transparency and control back to the people that own the music, then I think that that's a step in the right direction for sustainability and success. Yeah, definitely. But um, then what I hear is that you're a real pioneer. I mean, when you're in the space since 2012, when I understood that right, that's a very long time and almost right from the beginning. And you also learned a lot with your Tatiana coin and all the other things you did. You also are a podcast host. You host two podcasts. One is the Tatiana Moroz show, I think. And the second one is the Proof of Love podcast. Um, can you please um, tell us how did you get into podcasting and which one the, was the first one? Which one did you start at first? I started the Tatiana show back in 2015, I think, maybe even 2014. Gosh, I should probably look that up. But it's been a while and uh, we've had a lot of different guests. So we talk about activism, politics, um, personal interest stories, as well as a lot of cryptocurrency. I mean, we've been covering Bitcoin for a very long time, as well as a number of other projects. Um, but last year, I started to get a little bit, 
I don't know if I would say bored, but yeah, I guess I would say bored. A little bit bored of only talking about crypto and Bitcoin all the time. And I noticed, especially with the bear market, that people needed a little something else to nurture the soul. And so that's why I started making Proof of Love, which I created as a show to nurture our emotional intelligence. Look, we can only be workaholics for so long before we start sacrificing those personal relationships that make life worth living, that give you some sort of color beyond just uh, you know the blockchain. And so I started the show with Lauren Kasovitz, who's a very good friend of mine. She used to be a relationship blogger. Um, now she's moved on and is living in California. And then also Stephanie Murphy, who some of your listeners may have heard uh, in the crypto space or in the libertarian world, because she's been doing uh, relationship stuff on podcasts since 2008. And she's been a founding member of Let's Talk Bitcoin, the podcast that I mentioned earlier uh, with Andreas Antonopoulos and Adam Levine and Jonathan Mohan. So she's been in the space for a very long time. She has a doctor background and we talk about everything, you know, um, sex, emotional development, addiction. Uh, we uh, have a surrogate mother episode I was just listening to before we started talking. We have an episode of about BDSM coming up. Uh, and sometimes what we do is we bring in different people from the crypto space and we interview them maybe about their relationship or about how they've uh, overcome different challenges in business. And I think it's a really cool way to get to know Somebody in this space that you've definitely maybe seen uh, on screen talking about blockchain, but you haven't heard about you know the story behind the person. And so we were lucky enough to have, for example, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert. Um, they had a beautiful episode. I love that episode. It's short and sweet. And they talk about how they started their relationship. We have uh, Samson Mao and Lena. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Julie Borowski from more the libertarian side. Uh, we have Julie Taransky, <laughs> uh, Julia Taransky, who's uh, definitely from the crypto community. So we have a lot of different people from this space. Um, and we talk about things that I don't know, I think are kind of fun to talk about. Everybody's interested in sex and relationships. And I think that in the context of a bunch of people that are tech weirdos, you know, sometimes people in the tech space have a hard time connecting. And um, in order to have sustainable careers, I think that they need to nurture all of their parts. So that's what we focus on. And it's been a lot of fun. And so that we also air on uh, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network on Fridays, uh, usually. So if people want to listen to that, they can go to Proof of Love Cast like podcast.com, or they can listen to thetatianashow.com as well. Mm -hmm. And you're doing both shows on a weekly basis? That's right. So usually the Tatiana Show comes out on Tuesdays, and then Proof of Love comes out on Fridays. We try to stick to that schedule. I'm not perfect at it, but that's what we try to do. Uh, so we had a little bit of a break over the holiday, but now we've got a whole bunch more uh, episodes packed for the new year. And uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff, fun. It's been really cool to do that show, actually. I mean, I don't know. I love talking about Bitcoin, but enough is enough. <laughs> yes, sometimes you have to talk about something else too. So you were saying that you are going to the uh, La Bitconf, is the name, I think, from the uh, South American Bitcoin conference. You're also going to many other conferences, I guess. What are your favorite other Bitcoin or crypto conferences? Well, I've been going to conferences since uh, 2012. So I feel like I have a good uh, level of experience with what are some of my favorite conferences. Uh, last year, Bitcoin Magazine started Bitcoin 2020. Uh, last year, I guess it was Bitcoin 19. But anyway, the Bitcoin conference in San Francisco, it's, I think, March 27th and 28th this year. I really love that conference. Uh, Tone Vase has one called Unconfiscatable, and he's done a number of different training uh, kind of 
I guess, training programs around the world. Uh, but Unconfiscatable, this is his second year. And he's doing that in Las Vegas. And there's always a lot of kind of maximalists there. But people who I think, I mean, I'm not a maximalist. I love Bitcoin the best. But um, I'm really excited about new innovation. And I think we should be open-minded and not call everything a scam. That being said, I think that a lot of the people at his conference are kind of politically aligned and believe in freedom. Because I think, you know, there's been an evolution in the in the crypto space where people are not necessarily looking at it from an ideological perspective. They're looking at it, oh, get rich quick, bring transparency, and, and that's fine. Uh, but for me, I think of it as a tool to liberate humanity. So I really want to make sure that people remember that. And I think of that as, as my role. Um, I also started doing my own conference, um, which has been a little bit of an interesting journey because it was sort of kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I've had a lot of friends talk to me about creating a conference for a long time, and I never want to get involved with that because I think it's a lot of work and not that much reward and you can piss people off without even trying. So, you know, I, I like to go to different things, but my family has um, a home in Eleuthera, which is an island in the Bahamas. It means freedom. It's the fourth largest populated island in the Bahamas. And the last time I was there, or a few times ago when I was there, I had done some live music at an open mic. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to sing, and if I'm already here, why not do a little combo special? So I started talking to Ryan Austin, who has an organization called Bahamas Bites. And I was referred to him from uh, Rhonda Eldridge, who also has a hackathon uh, with Crypto Chicks in August in uh, Nassau in the Bahamas. But anyway, so I started talking with Ryan about creating an event for the Bahamas. And so we basically put it together very quickly. I had the idea in late November and um, in Gen on January 10th, we had our event. So I invited a lot of people from the crypto space, but it was a little bit too late for people to get involved. And I had a lot of interest from a number of different brands and a lot of my friends. So we're going to push it off, I'm thinking early April. Uh, but we decided to push forward since we had the gig booked and do almost like a dry run. So I brought my friend, Michael Horowitz, who has a company called Volta Markets, who also works with Soho Muse, which is a really cool project, uh, which is like a LinkedIn for creatives. Um, and then I also brought Will Hensley, who's my engineer, producer, musical partner for almost 15 years now. We've been working together. Um, and we brought Blake Abbas. He did an amazing job creating video that we'll be sharing, as well as Lisa Loud. And Lisa... Um, well, I don't want to announce her big announcement. She has a big announcement, but Lisa's been in the community for a very long time. She came from a corporate background in PayPal and Apple, and she's really brought a lot to the community in crypto, but also to me as a leader in the space. I mean, she's really incredible to learn from. And so we decided to do a little bit of a making of the band kind of a recording. So I am working on my fourth album and when you make an album with a full band, you have to sort of demo it out. And so I brought Will down and we wanted to capture what does that process look like when you're writing a song and when you're recording and starting out the album. So Blake was capturing that for us. And it allows me to talk about not only my music, but say, okay, well, not only are we talking about music, but what about cryptocurrency? What does that have to do with anything? And so we created a Bitcoin 101 panel at... um in Eleuthera. And afterward, we did a live music concert and Lisa and her daughter, Elvie sang, and then a number of different people kind of participated. So that was really neat. And I think we got a lot of interest. Um, and we're really looking forward to a much larger event later in the year that has enough time to prepare. But what I'm looking to do with the content that we made was create almost a little docu-series sharing 
what is the creative intersection with blockchain? What does that have to do with hurricane relief? Because what I noticed in the Bahamas was that, you know, sure, they need more music. Everybody needs more music. But Bitcoin can actually have a really great impact in um, the Caribbean because, for example, to get to an ATM, it takes 40 minutes to drive there. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm right outside Manhattan. So I know that every street corner has an ATM. Uh, but in a place like the Bahamas, they don't necessarily have um, such a great banking system. Um, I mean, they have some, but they don't have a lot of support. And then if you have uh, Hurricane Dorian come through, which is what really devastated a lot of the islands, um, what kind of services do they have? You know, they don't have any banking services for a long time. So teaching people there about Bitcoin is, uh, you know, teaching anybody about Bitcoin is a passion project for me. But for a community that's given me a lot, I wanted to give them something back. And also, uh, Ryan Austin, who's down there, he has this organization, Bahamas Bites, and he's teaching kids how to code. So Deanna Bailey from GoCoin and Nexus Kids was kind enough to donate a projector. So now he can teach kids how to code all over the island. And we're partnering with a number of different organizations like DustAid, GiveTrack, uh, BitGive, and uh, disruptive PR out in England, as well as a number of other companies. And we are basically putting together another event that will focus on bringing more technology, i.e. raising money for computers to donate to the kids and teaching um, the community there more about crypto in a little bit of a bigger way than we just had. You know, I don't want to just touch on Bitcoin. I want to give people an overview of how they can get involved in blockchain overall, because I think there's a lot of opportunities that people don't necessarily take into account. You know, if you're not a tech person like me, you would think, hey, there's no place for me in this community. But that's not true. You know, we need all different kinds of people. We need marketers. We need community managers. We, we need graphic artists. We need management. We need uh, tech people, of course. So there's a lot of opportunities there that can even be had remotely. So uh, they have a lot of brain drain that happens in the Caribbean, from what I understand. And we don't need to kind of um, do that anymore because we can work from home. So if you can teach people on the island, hey, you don't even need to leave the island. You can get these great job opportunities from working in your pajamas. I mean, that's awesome. And to mix that in with the creative side is a real treat for me. And I think the people there really liked it. So I'm looking forward to sharing that uh, with my audience and maybe yours uh, when we're when we're ready and edited. Yeah, sure. Great. So it sounds as if you would use Bitcoin like any other currency. Uh, do you use it in a like day-to-day -day use or for traveling or what are you personally doing with it? Well, I wish I had more Bitcoin. That's basically all I have to say about that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I've been living off of Bitcoin for years. Um, I've, I've had uh, Bitcoin since 2012 and That makes it sound like I'm just living off the fat of the land. Uh, I, I do not have a large stash of Bitcoin. Don't get excited or target me for your SIM hacks. Um, but I just keep all my money in Bitcoin because I think that, you know, I think of it almost as a form of political protest by withdrawing my money from the system. I mean, sure, do I cash out and turn it into USD often? Of course I have to, uh, but I prefer to be paid in Bitcoin. I've been trying to pay my staff whenever they want to in Bitcoin. Um, and even when I did my first album, Uh, all on cryptocurrency with Tatiana coin, I paid the band and all the different participants in Bitcoin. So, you know, there has to be a balance with practicality. Uh, but for crypto cares, which uh, that's the name of my charitable endeavor, I guess it's not an actual charity. It's just sort of like a charity focused event. Uh, crypto dash cares.com. Uh, we're focusing on Bitcoin, but we're certainly open to other kinds of currencies. I know that in the Bahamas, they implemented the sand dollar, 
which is put out by the central bank in Bahamas. Um, I, of course, have some questions around central banking, but I think that when you're kind of a bank trying to compete with national banks like the United States Bank or the UK Bank, you need to have a little bit of a competitive edge. So I'd love to involve them in the future event as well and maybe teach people about some other things. But of course, I'm certainly focused on Bitcoin because that's the one that is resistant to any kind of censorship from governments. And I think that in a lot of different regions, they need that they need that pushback, right? I mean, in Argentina, in Venezuela, in Hong Kong, these are all places where Bitcoin is actually useful today and it has the most network effect. So I don't want to try driving people to some weird random coin because I just don't think that that's responsible. Mm, same here. Yeah, that's also the reason why I'm going to uh, Zimbabwe and Botswana next month, because I uh, want to find out if and how people use Bitcoin there or what are the obstacles maybe, because I mean, they live in uh, quite a different situation than we do in the Western world. They they don't have a reliable internet. Uh, it's very expensive to have internet connection there. So I'm quite curious uh, what the obstacles will be and also uh, what the people there really know about Bitcoin. Uh, so so how, how far is the knowledge, you know, and um, also the ecosystem around or the system, the economical system around will be very interesting for me. Yeah, you were mentioning uh, San Francisco Bitcoin 2020 conference before. I will also attend. And um, when I understood that, right, you're also coming. I'm not so sure if I'm going to be coming. I would like to. Um, it depends. I have a lot of travel stuff. I mean, that's my team. I love the Bitcoin Magazine folks. Most likely I'll be there, but I'm not sure. Although I have to say that I'm jealous of your Botswana trip. I've always wanted to go to Africa. I missed a, ch a chance a while ago. My mom offered to take me, uh, but I didn't end up taking her up on it, which was a stupid move. But I'd be more interested, frankly, uh, over a safari to go and see the community and, and meet with some of the people. Um so yeah, I'm jealous of that. But if not, then we get to hang out in, in San Francisco, I think. Fingers crossed. What are your next plans? Well, I'm going to keep working on the album. So if people want to listen to my music, they can go to tatianamoroz.com. I'll be posting some of the um, updates, you know, different kinds of stuff from along the journey. And that should be really fun. Um, but, you know, I'm working with Token.fm and Tokenly. Um, crypto media hub is revamping. We're doing a lot of new stuff. We've been more involved in creating media. And I think that, you know, there's a really big need for telling the story of cryptocurrency. One of my favorite pieces in the Bitcoin community on the marketing side, and I don't even think of it as a marketing thing. I think of it as a content creation was, uh, Emily Coleman's, uh, shapeshift video series. I was lucky enough to be featured in that. Salt has done a relatively similar thing that I was featured in as well. And I love seeing you know, crypto in action. So I'd love to be able to contribute to that more and also help companies tell their stories in a way that's engaging and creative. So among that, I mean, you know, proof of love, the Tatiana show, I'm doing a lot of different performances, of course, everywhere around the world, which is nice. Uh, I'll be in Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. So if people want to follow up with me, I'm on Twitter at Queen Tatiana. Uh, you can follow proof of love cast on Twitter. Um, crypto media hub is online. So, you know, people can get in touch with me and hang with me anytime. Well, not anytime, but anytime I'm in their city. I will put all the links in the show notes uh, on the episode page. Last question, we were just talking or you were talking about educational resources uh, for Bitcoin on blockchain beginners. Do you have any other recommendations like books uh, to read or videos to look for newbies? 
Absolutely. So I'm, of course, a huge fan of Andreas Antonopoulos. I have been since the beginning. He's one of my oldest friends in the crypto space. And at the Latin American Bitcoin conference, it was so rock and roll. He opens up with this really great speech. And then um, Max Kaiser went up and then Jimmy Song went up and they were just really dropping truth bombs. So I would recommend actually um, watching Andreas's speech from the LabBitConf. And you know what he got me really interested in was maybe learning how to code. So um, Jimmy Song told me about Mooniversity, which I haven't had a chance to look into, but it kind of teaches like the preliminary basics of how to code. And then you could take Jimmy's class. So if I have time and I can get that done before Tone's event in February, Unconfiscatable, maybe I'll take Jimmy's class. But for a newbie, I would say that um, Lop, uh, Jameson Lop has a lot of great resources, but Andreas Antonopoulos talks will engage your heart. And I think that that's a little bit more important than engaging your mind right away, at least for people like me. I mean, your mind can get stimulated and that's important, but you have to have a reason for why you're doing it. And Andreas can give you a knockout punch of both. I mean, we try and keep it simple on the Tatiana show. Um, you know, there's a lot of great content out there. So, you know, get out there and and watch some YouTube videos. And I would recommend that people don't get intimidated because if I can get into it as a person who would literally say, Oh, I don't want to hang out with finance people. It's like a snobby artist. Anybody can be a part of this community. And there's a lot of excitement going on and, and a lot of reason to, I don't know, everybody's all depressed about politics lately. And the world is a wonderful place. And Bitcoin makes me happy. It doesn't make me feel powerless. And and I think that that's a great component of life. Yeah, that's true. It makes me optimistic too. And it also, it was Andreas Antonopoulos also on my side and he really spoke to my heart. And that was really the beginning because he, afterwards I, I was studying uh, the code a little bit as far as I can and all the other stuff. But you are completely right. I think it's something that takes you If you have a special, I don't know, a special direction already in your soul and in your heart, then you understand it fast. Absolutely. Anita, I can't wait to hang out with you again. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you very much for being my guest. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Also, guys, don't forget, uh, we had Anita on, on the Tatiana show with me and Josh. You've probably heard Josh Shigala on, on Anita's show. So if you want to hear her behind the mic, instead of just asking the questions, uh, check out that episode. I'll be sharing it on my Twitter too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like my show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player and share the episode on social media. You can find all links that were mentioned in the show notes on the website or in your podcast player. You can contact me also on Twitter, LinkedIn or YouTube. Goodbye from Vienna of Wiederhören. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production, yours truly, Anita Posch. <laughs>